waiting. Who likes to wait? Anybody? Is anybody an expert at waiting? <clears throat> Sometimes it depends on what you're waiting for, right? Now, some of you may be aware, and others of you may not, but th this summer I've become, I guess, somewhat a bit of an expert at waiting. You see, over the course of the last two months, my wife and I have spent about a third of our time in hospitals for various reasons. Let me just give you the quick rundown. If you're on the prayer list, then you've probably heard this, but this is a snapshot of Ben and his family and our waiting over the course of maybe the last two months or so. It started back in June, and our middle son decided to be a little dramatic, and he wanted to throw up a dozen times, and so he did that. He came dehydrated. We went to the ER. We got admitted into the hospital, and we stayed there. He got on fluids. And once he was on fluids, they saw that he was okay, and we went home. But you know, in hospital settings, if you've been there, you're waiting on doctors, you're waiting on nurses, you're waiting for answers. We were able to go home, fortunately. We were there for two days. Until we were back in the ER again with the same son, Judah, our nearly two-year-old. This time it was respiratory issues. Back into the ER, waiting for hours, you know, going to the ER at 10 o'clock at night, not getting into a room until 5 a.m., that sort of thing. Finally getting there, doing panels on him to figure out what's going on. They test for all these different viruses. He gets this very obscure virus that for most adults would just be a common cold, but for him was a little bit more threatening. But, you know, he started doing a little bit better. And then they released us and we went home for two more days. Then on Monday, I was actually on uh, a mission trip with our students down into Detroit at Camper's store, and I get a call from my wife. And we're getting instruction at this point. We just landed. We're just there. We're getting our sight. So, you know, I let her know. I'll call her back, but she calls a second time. Husbands, when your wife calls a second time, what do you do? You answer. So I answer the phone, and she's really upset. She had just gone to an ultrasound. She's at 32 weeks at this point with our third child. She's really distraught because we have just been now categorized from just a regular healthy pregnancy to a high-risk pregnancy. Something going on with the umbilical cord, and that led us to a spot where we had to go to the doctor three times a week. Two times for a stress test where you literally just sit there for an hour and they just watch the baby's heart rate and movement and all that sort of stuff. And then also an ultrasound each week. And so we're in this season of waiting, waiting for him to show up, waiting for him to be okay. And we did that for a number of weeks up until the 36 week mark. We go in for an ultrasound, everything looked fine. We go home and we get a call from the doctor later that day saying, you need to go to the hospital right now. You need to get a steroid shot because you're going to deliver your baby in two days. And we want to make sure his lungs are strong enough that he is going to be able to handle the delivery and be able to breathe well on his own. 36 weeks. I know babies can be born much earlier, but this was early for us. And so we had to wait those two days, wait till we went into the hospital, get into the hospital, wait for the induction to start, wait during the induction, which took forever. But then, praise be to God, on July 12th, Owen, uh, our third son, was born, and he was doing well. And we were there for the better part of a week, nearly five days in the hospital, a little bit longer stay than normal, just because he was a little bit early and they needed to run some tests. So they run the tests. Like I said, we're waiting, waiting for the test to come back, waiting for results, waiting to see that he's okay. And finally, Friday of that week arrives, and they say, okay, you guys can go home. Here's your just discharge papers. Just make sure to see your pediatrician and, and follow up and, you know, go, go see a cardiologist, a specialist for a pediatrician. What's that all about? Well, we go to our pediatrician, and they look over the paperwork, and they say, oh, they're, they're, your son might have a heart murmur. He, he might have a hole in his heart. So that's why they want you to go see the cardiologist. So that was on a Friday. 
we saw the cardiologist on a Monday. I tell you, that's the longest weekend of my life. Waiting for the answer. Going to the doctor, waiting for two and a half hours for the cardiologist and, and his assistant as they are doing all these tests on our little baby at two weeks old just to make sure, or, or I guess it was about a week old, uh, make sure that his heart's okay. And at the end of two and a half hours, the doctor looks at us and says, he's okay. You never need to see me again. Your son's fine. But then, a week later, it's not done yet, I'm sorry. <laughs> I wish it was. <laughs> We're thankful for that, most certainly. And then a week later, we had an incident within our home, which was pretty scary. Uh, Owen, as we're going down to bed, uh, had a little bit of trouble breathing, uh, to the point that us as parents of three children now, uh, we were concerned enough that we called 911. That, that there was that much difficulty. He was you know, rushed by ambulance to the hospital. He was breathing just fine. He never stopped breathing, but we were concerned and went to the same hospital he was born at, moved on to the next hospital they wanted to transfer him to. We were there again for about a week. And there, waiting for answers, waiting for doctors to, to come up with solutions. We're told that we were under the care of one of the best doctors, which, as a parent, makes you feel good. Up until the point at the end of the week where the, the best doctor shrugs and goes, I don't know, it's a freak thing. You guys can go ahead and go home and we'll, you know, just follow up with your pediatrician. And there, we're waiting, we're watching, we're monitoring him. And as we go home again, this is after our fourth hospital visit, one including a birth, that he's not doing so well. He's not holding his food down. Things actually have gotten worse from the time that we spent in the NICU. And I remember distinctly, just as things have just progressively gotten worse, and we're monitoring how many wet diapers and how much he's holding down and all that sort of stuff, and there was just a bad day where he didn't have that many wet diapers. And I distinctly remember sitting on bed, holding Owen and praying over him aloud that God would place his healing hand on him, that God would make him well that he'd be able to hold his food down. And it was right after that moment that he did have another wet diaper, but this time it was red. His kidneys weren't functioning the way they should have, so we rushed back. Fifth time in two months that we were going into the hospital. This is the fourth time that we went into the hospital through the ER. Praise be to God, that morning, they ran a test. They found out exactly what was wrong. They did surgery later that day, and our son's been doing fantastic since. And so... You can take a look. <laughs> well, there's big brother Zeke, now big brother Judah, and baby Owen. Uh, he's doing fantastic. And I share all that with you for this reason. Number one, God is good, and I'm thankful for that. And I recognize this, that all the times that I've been in the hospital this last month, I've been able to walk out with my children, and I'm thankful for that. And that's not always the case. Healthy children. And I thank God for that. But the reality is that all of us can struggle with waiting. I'll tell you what, I waited in perfectly. I did not do a perfect job as a Christian waiting faithfully and patiently and trusting this whole time throughout the course of the last months. I Believe me, I tried. I didn't do a perfect job. And I know that each of us walk through different seasons where we're waiting for the next thing, where you're waiting for something in your family, and your career, you're waiting for the next step within school, you're, you're, and we don't always wait well. And actually, as Christians, as a body of believers, we all collectively are waiting together. We're waiting for the very same thing, and Jesus speaks directly to it. And today, I want to share with you not only what we're waiting for, but how it is that God has called each and every one of us to wait. And we're going to talk about that as we go into Matthew 25, but first, you're going to have to wait. Because <laughs> we have to review our mission and our vision. 
And so if you guys would, uh, would humor me and we can do this together, because as a church, this is what we believe that God has laid on our hearts, not just as a staff, but as the community of believers here. This is what God is calling each and every one of us to do. So if you would, with me. We exist to impact the world with the love of Jesus. That is exactly it. That each of us are here, that our lives have been impacted so much by Jesus, that we have been saved by grace through faith, that now we want to go forth and be God's hands and his feet into a broken world. And in the last number of weeks, this will be the final week, as we're working through our vision statement. And this is how our mission is played out. So if you would, we can read this together as well. We will value everyone we meet, we will influence everywhere we go, and we will live generously with everything we have. That we will value everyone, we will influence everywhere. And today we'll be talking about what it means for us to live generously with everything that we have. That everything in your life, that you are called to be a manager, a manager of your finances, a manager of your family, a manager of your career, a manager of your studies if you're a student, that we are called to manage all those things because all of those things are good gifts from God. But as we look at things like this, and they're so aspirational that we would impact the world with the love of Jesus, that we would value everyone and influence everywhere and live generously with everything, there is a danger when we talk about these things and we don't have a, a full view of what it means to be a Christian. And the danger looks a lot like this. We're going to value everyone. We're going to influence everywhere. We're, we're going to live generously with everything. And if I do all of those things like a, like a good Christian, like a good member of Shepherd's Gate, then God will love me and then I'll be doing a good job. And he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. The reality is that we all have to recognize because we all have this thing called gospel amnesia and we can forget that it's first by grace through faith. It is because God loved us first. He loved Ben first. He loved all of you first. And it's from that place of thankfulness, of gratefulness, and recognizing that we have now been given a righteousness that's not our own. That it's Jesus' righteousness, that it's his life that's in us now, and that we don't put things in the wrong order, but we leave things in the correct order of knowing we're loved first and then reflecting that love out to the world, reflecting the ability to value other people, to influence places. And today, we're going to talk about how to be generous to others. So if you would, you can go ahead and grab uh, one of your chair Bibles or pull out a Bible. We're going to be hanging out in Matthew 25. And in your chair Bibles, that'll be found on page 830. And the text we find ourselves in today is actually in the middle of a number of parables that Jesus is sharing. Parables being stories as Jesus is really driving home points. And his audience in this case is actually his disciples. Not necessarily Pharisees or other uh, followers, but his disciples he's talking to, and he's sharing a number of parables about a very specific time. If you want to in your Bible there, you can go ahead and see at the end of chapter 4, he begins to talk about the end times themselves. You see, in Jesus' ministry, this is before he actually has died for everyone, before his resurrection, but in the case of these parables, he's talking about something even after that. He's talking after his death, after his resurrection, after his ascension, he's talking about when he returns. And in the first one of those parables, he, he talks about the fact that, you know what, it's, it's going to happen quickly. It's going to happen when nobody expects it. So if you expect it, it's probably not going to happen. And then also, he shares that we need to be prepared. We need to be ready. There's a parable of being prepared for a wedding and having lamps and oil, and you, might have, you better have your oil ready. You better be ready because it's going to come quickly. You're not going to expect it, so be prepared. 
And then in this parable, he's driving home a point that we're going to see is, what is it that we're supposed to do while we wait? Because again, collectively as Christians, this is what we're waiting for. We are waiting for the return of Jesus, and I tell you what, some days we would hope it would come sooner than later, amen? Amen. But in the meantime, we find ourselves in a spot of waiting. And so how do we as Christians wait well? What is it that we're supposed to do while we wait? So let's go ahead and jump into it. In Matthew 25, starting in verse 14, it says, For it, again, the it here is the kingdom of God, the return of Jesus. For when Jesus returns, it'll be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. Culturally, this is a little bit odd. We don't have servants today, but in this culture, this would have been a common thing. This is a term for bond servants, meaning essentially a slave for life, being enslaved to another person, being essentially treated like property by them, that you are owned by another person. This parable is not condoning slavery in any way, but culturally it's relevant. And we'll see why it's also helpful to understand because actually we are called slaves to righteousness. We are servants of the Most High. We're also called his sons and his daughters. But in this parable, he brings his servants together and he entrusts his property to them. This wouldn't have been that out of a thing. If a business owner, if a a master is going to go do a journey, he's going to go do something, he's actually going to leave his property in charge, uh, in the charge of those that he trusts. We'll see just how much he trusted them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability, then he went away on his journey. Talents is not being able to play the kazoo and ride a unicycle and juggle. (laughs) Talents is actually a term of weight, 75 pounds to be exact. And it could be the weight of silver or the weight of gold. But if you went with the lesser, it said 75 pounds of silver. How much are we talking here, Ben? Five bags or things of 75 pounds of silver. How much is that? Well, if it would be in the case if it was silver, some scholars say that's 20 years' wages would be one talent. So just to translate that today, rough numbers, if you earn $50,000 for 20 years, that's a million dollars, one talent. To one he gave five million, to another gave two million, to another gave one million. These are high-capacity servants. He's entrusting a lot to them. He's giving them, I mean, a lot of responsibility. And what I find so curious, too, is the master knows each of his servants. He gives to each of them according to their ability. You notice he didn't give the five-talent servant one talent, and he didn't give the one-talent servant five. What you have in your life right now, with God's help, you're able to manage. That he looks at you and he says, the position you're in in your career, the family that you have, what you have in your world right now might feel overwhelming. Five hospital visits in two months, Ben. You can handle it. Three boys. Really, God? Yes. Yes, you can handle it with my help. You can be a servant that can be diligent with those things, responsible and a good manager. He knows his servants, and he doesn't overwhelm them with what he gives them, and he went away. And what we have to recognize with this, that it's talking about finances here, but if we zoom out from this parable for just a second and look elsewhere in Scripture, that we recognize this. In James chapter 1, verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God is unchanging, and you know what? Every day he gives you good gifts. The breath in your lungs that you have today, your health that you have, the f- everything that you have, every cent that is in your bank account is a gift from God. And we might be able to trick ourselves into thinking, well, no, the money's in the bank account because I worked hard. 
Well, who gave you the ability to work hard? Who gave you the drive? Who gave you the head on your shoulders that you're able to do those sorts of things to earn what you have? Every single gift that you have, especially the mercy and grace that we each enjoy every day, is a gift from God. Going back into the parable, we see that the master's away on his journey, and he who had received five talents went at once. There's a reason that he's the five-talent servant. And it's right there. At once, immediately, he went and traded with them. He made five more talents. So also, he who had two talents made two more talents. There's no stock market. There's no cryptocurrency. (laughs) They weren't investing in Bitcoin and then, you know, turning a profit that way. When it's saying that they traded with them, it could mean that they literally are going and buying property, starting farms, starting businesses. They are working to double this money. What they recognize is that their master entrusted all of his assets to them, a vast amount of wealth, and they're not just sitting on it. They're they're putting it to work, and they are working diligently, trying to be as productive as possible with this. And they have a great return on it. But then we see the one-talent servant. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. I'll be honest, this is really curious to me. And I remember when I first heard this parable as a kid, I didn't get what the big deal was. So what? He hid it, right? He didn't steal it. We look elsewhere in Jesus' parables. We see the prodigal son says to his dad, I wish you were dead, give me your money. I mean, that seems like it's pretty bad. At least here, he's trying to maybe manage his master's money in the way that he knows how by digging into the ground and hiding it and keeping it safe. We're going to see in a little bit why that wasn't such a great thing for him to do. The other two are working hard. They're being productive. They're trying to apply it. They're taking risks. And they're able to multiply their master's assets and expand, really, his kingdom. That's what God calls each of us to do. But here, this servant kind of sitting idly by. Now, after a long time, so a time has passed, long enough that the first two servants were able, with their trading and their business dealings, that they were able to double it. It was also a long enough time that it's not so great that the one-talent servant was just sitting around. So after this long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Let me just pause here for a second. If this was the day, And if you had to stand before God and you had to settle accounts with him, and maybe even you just settle accounts in the last month, maybe just the last week, how'd you do? How'd you use your time? How were all the words that came out of your mouth? Did you use those well? Was all your effort at work and all your effort at home, was it it the way it should be? Was it a way that glorified and honored God and expanded his kingdom? The reality is if I took an assessment of my own life, that's not the case. It's not everything that I do is productive for God. And so if you read this and and you even have that thought of if I was to be assessed right now and there's a sense of, of guilt in any way, then that's something to repent of and to recognize that we all fall short of the perfect standard that God sets for us. And that's why we have Jesus. Again, making sure that the cart doesn't get in front of the horse. But there is something right and healthy and holy about conviction from the Holy Spirit and recognizing that that when we fall short, that we should go to God in repentance and recognize that I don't do things perfectly, God, and that's why I need you. Because we see how, in this parable, the master deals with his servants. 
So he who had received five, it's no surprise that he's the first one to come forward. He was the first one to get to work, and now he's the first one to come forward, bringing five more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents here. I have made five more talents. He gives him all the profit. He recognizes everything that he did was for his master and not for himself. That he didn't pad his pockets at all. That he would have the opportunity, think about this, it was $5 million, essentially, and that he made $5 million more. He did all of the work. Would, in any of you, maybe it was just me, there would be a temptation to go, Master, you gave me five talents, I made four more. I'm just going to go ahead and pocket one talent. You know, it's just 20 years' wages, no big deal. He probably won't even miss it if he has all that wealth. But not only is he diligent and productive, but you see his character as well that he's doing this for his master, that it's all for his master, and he recognizes in its rightful place that it is his master's wealth. It's not his own. That he's meant and called to manage it and be a steward of it. So his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. A little? You, you took five million to turn it to 10 million and it was just a little? But in God's economy, in his kingdom, that's nothing. You've managed just a little bit, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And then in the same way, he also, who had two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I've made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Well done, good and faithful servant. Aren't those words that we all long to hear? Isn't that something that we would want our creator to say of us and how we spend our time and how we send our resources and how we spend the mercy and grace, the reality of how good it is to be covered by those things, the forgiveness that we're given, that we're not just sitting idly by going, well, God forgave me so I don't have to worry about anything anymore, but rather being diligent with those things. And then he gets to enter into his joy. And in this parable, again, since it's talking about the end of time, that Jesus' return, as there will be a new heaven and new earth, this is a, a symbol to say to enter into the joy of the master is to be in his presence, is to be in heaven with God. Now, there could be the mistake making here, and if you just look at just this text and you don't look at context, you might be able to say, well, that means I need to work hard so I get to heaven. Again, that's the cart before the horse. Don't confuse it. You can't just take one text and create your whole theology around it. But what here Jesus is doing is he's driving home the point of that while we are waiting, we are called to be productive with what he's given us. It's not saying that that's what we need to do in order to earn heaven because there is no earning heaven and we know that elsewhere from scripture. And he who also had received one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scatter no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. So more so than just the action of that one talent servant going and digging in a hole and hiding it, now we get to a sense of who he is and why he did it, what, what was his rationale behind it. He was afraid, but really what he's saying here to his master is he's kind of blaming his master, isn't he? You're a hard man. I didn't know what to do. I, I, was, I was afraid of you. So... So I just hid it in the ground. In the presence of our master, in the presence of Jesus who loves us no matter what, there is no room for fear. Our response to him is not one out of fear. If your actions of you trying to do good and be good is because you're afraid of punishment from God, then you have it wrong. 
our response to God is out of a God who loved us first. And then we respond. So he doesn't have a correct view of who his master is in this case. But what he does have at the very least, which I do find interesting in this parable again, is he says, here, you have what is yours. I can't tell you how many times I might walk around thinking what I have is mine. That my family is mine, that my job is mine, that my car is mine. And that I don't have a correct view that all of those things, like we've already stated, but to drive home this point, that everything that you have is a gift. There is nothing in your life that you don't have because it's a gift from God. And even this wicked servant here recognizes that his master gave him this talent, and it's his talent, and he wasn't going to try to take it from him. And in our lives, we need to do the same. We need to recognize that all that we have, the time that we have, the abilities that we have, the literal talents that we have are given to us by God, and he gave, them to, gave those to us for a reason. And here's the response that the master gives him. The master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant, words we do not want to hear. You knew that I reap where I have not sown, I gather where I scatter no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, you should have received what was my own with interest. He says, you didn't do anything. You just sat idly by. You didn't do anything. You were slothful. You are wicked. You didn't care. You're, you're just making excuses. You're not applying yourself at all. I gave you such a great gift. I gave you a million dollars to work with. I mean, what would the response have been if he said he tried hard, but he actually, you know, things didn't work out well and, you know, the business caved? I mean, I imagine the master here is like, at least he applied himself. But here, he's wicked because he's slothful. He's not applying himself. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. Give it to the ten-talent worker who knows how to apply himself and knows how to work hard, but knows who he's working for as well. You see, I, in our society, I believe that hard work is not a foreign thought. You know, you could ask that question, are you working hard? You're hardly working. Uh, but in our society, right, we value hard work. We value putting in hours. We value applying ourselves and, and the bottom line and just trying to grow that bottom line. There maybe is the wrong question there, there though. That the first servant worked hard, the second, service wor second servant worked hard, but what really matters is who are you working for? Yes, you need to apply yourself. Yes, we need to, as Christians, look at all that's within our lives and realize that we are managers of those things for God to expand God's kingdom, not our own. That God's kingdom would grow and not our own kingdom. So it really, a better question is who is it that you're working for? if you're putting in long hours, if you're applying yourself at home if, with your family, wherever it may be, can you answer that question of who is it that you're working for? What is it that you're working for? And if it's to expand your own kingdom, there again, if you assess that, even if you're applying yourself and working diligently, your focus is in the wrong spot because you're doing so that your life might be more comfortable, that you might look good, that you might have a bigger bank account. But the reality is that God has called us to work for him, that we are his servants. We are his sons and daughters, as it says elsewhere in Scripture, and that we've been given all those gifts to be good stewards of those things. And this is the, res this is the response that the Master gives him. For everyone who has uh, will more be given, and he will have an abundance. Those that have faith and understand who their Master is and are diligent to do what the Master says, but from the one who doesn't have faith, 
And that's the key here. The one who doesn't have faith and doesn't understand who I am, it'll be taken away because they didn't have it to start with. And cast the worthless servant, the one who didn't understand, the one who didn't believe, the one who didn't have faith, not that he's just not a hard worker, but the one who didn't understand who the master was, and cast him into outer darkness. In this place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And again, here in this parable, we see this is end times, that heaven is entering the joy of your master, and the outer darkness is hell. And hell isn't earned by not working hard, but hell is our unacceptance to recognize who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And so as believers, what is, what is it that we're called to do while we're, we wait? So it's this, actually. Colossians 3.17. It's whatever you do, in word or deed, in everything, in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In everything that you do, in every interaction that you have, when you're in a difficult season or an easy season, all those things should be done to honor God. And here it is, clear as day, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That there again we see it's a response that God did for us what we could have never done for ourselves, and he did it first. And then we respond to him in everything that we do by honoring him, by living generously, by having the type of character. I think that's the best reflection of God's character is when we're generous, when we're loving others, when we value others, when we influence them for the kingdom of God, and when we're generous with them. And so for you, what does faithfulness look like with everything uh, while you wait? Right now we're waiting. You're in the middle of a season of waiting. Again, you might be waiting for things in your own life, but collectively as Christians, we're waiting for Jesus to return. So how is it that we can be more faithful with what he's entrusted to each and every one of us that we could bring honor to him, that we could be productive, and that he would multiply the return on those sorts of things? See, within our vision and our mission statement, we also have some explanations so we can get right down to it. In one of the explanations under this heading of living generously, it says, we will provide a path, as a church, a path, which is our discipleship path, to align our spiritual gifts and creative strengths with our hearts in order to serve others. The focus being there on others and, and recognizing this too, that you have spiritual gifts. There's no one in this room that doesn't have a spiritual gift. That God's giving you multiple gifts in your lives, which is the love and the grace that he gives you each and every day, but also he's given you literal spiritual gifts. He's given you strengths that other people in this room don't have, and that we want you to learn and help you learn how to apply those gifts in your life so that you can impact the world around you with the love of Jesus, that you can serve other people. Going even further in the explanation, it says, through sacrificial giving, we will gladly share our physical and financial resources with others. Because there, we can talk in broad terms, right? That maybe is a little bit more comfortable to say, oh, it's all the things that I have, but yet part of it's finances, too. That every single cent that you have is actually from God, and that he might simply be asking for a portion of it back. And that we should be faithful with those things to give to our local church, to give to our community, that in doing so, we're not doing it reluctantly or begrudgingly, but again, it comes out of a response that we might best reflect his character and that we would be able to bless other people with those finances or, again, with physical work as well. And there's a, an amazing opportunity that we have coming up here at church 
If you've been around for a little bit, around this church for a number of years, you know uh, what's coming is, is step out and serve. So I want to invite uh, my good friend Jim and then also Ron. I'm teasing you, Ron. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Ben. Yeah. And this is a great message for Step Out because, you know, it leads us directly to, well, what, what, are, what are we to do with, you know, this call? What are we to do with this vision? And here we are uh, just a few days away from Step Out and Serve, which we do every year at Shepherd's Gate. We're going to be all over the community at lots of sites. How many sites do we have this year? 32. 32. And where do we stand with the number of volunteers? So we are close to uh, 400 volunteers, which is more than last year. Wow, give yourselves a hand, Shepherd's Gate. That's awesome. But this is the last day to sign up. So if you haven't signed up for Step Out and Serve, there is a last minute chance to get in the action. I know sometimes I wait till the last minute to do things, not very often. Sometimes. Once in a while. Well, maybe a little more than sometimes. And so uh, if anyone else is like that, whether they're watching online or here, they can still sign up. Tell us what's still available. So there are a couple of sites. Uh, we need some painting. We need some skilled work uh, down in Detroit. Uh, we've got a few openings for uh, planting mats here on site, so that's family friendly. And uh, all the other sites, we, I think we're in really good shape. Great, and you said that we could still use some donations of a few things. So yep. if someone could bring something into the church uh, for Step Out and Serve, what, would, what could they bring? So we are uh, still taking donations for teacher kits. There are some gift cards that we're tr uh, we'd love to bless uh, our teachers with. Uh, we're still taking donations of bags for the plyron mats and uh, any bikes that might need a, a little bit of work. And they can drop it off here uh, either today or Wednesday, is that right? That's correct. So Wednesday will be by the family entrance between 5 and 7. So if you've baked any cookies, uh, which we could still use a few more cookies for the lunches, and uh, we'll be here 5 to 7 on Wednesday accepting donations. Great. Well, I'm really excited about, uh, you know, Step Out and Serve this year, and I know many of us are. It starts Friday night, 6 o'clock with the dinner provided. Come, bring your family. Dinner's on us. And then 7 p.m. for our commissioning service and it goes from there, is that right? Correct. All right, well, if uh, you need to sign up, remember, today's the last day. Yeah, and you can sign up on uh, sgchurch.org or please go to the app to do that. Uh, if you have signed up already and you are in need of a t-shirt, if you signed up, you can get one of these really cool t-shirts. In the, I'm gonna do that again. Fellowship hall. In the fellowship hall, yes. I've been here about a year. I know where the fellowship hall is. How long have you been here? A little longer oh, than that. Okay, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I think we should leave it there. Uh, give it up for Ron, everyone, and his team. You did a great job this year. If you haven't been a part of Step Out and Serve in the past, it's a, it is a fantastic ministry. It's a fantastic way for us to apply what we're talking about here today, that we can live generously by taking a little bit of your time. Just, you know, one day, a few hours to go serve someone here in the walls of this church or outside this church. And, you know, we're all walking in different seasons of life, and you might have different things on your plate. But last year, this was with just two of my boys, you know, Zeke and Judah. So a three-year-old and a one-year-old, we were able to, you know, participate and step out and serve. That we went to the Rochester Fire Department, and we were able to give, collect, you know, collect a gift bag and take it to them. And they also got to be blessed by this, by seeing fire engines and firefighters. So no matter where you're at, what season of life you're in, there are opportunities for you to serve inside and outside these walls of this church that you can reflect 
God's love. And that's what he's called us to do, to answer that question finally of, so what, it is, what is it that we're supposed to do while we wait? Well, we're supposed to mo- grow more and more into the character and the likeness of our God as he continually to refine us and reflect us, not accruing more and more for ourselves to expand our kingdom, but developing more and more in our character so that he can entrust more to us that his kingdom might expand. And not just for our own benefit that we become refined as believers, that we live the best life that we can have, which is a generous life, but also in doing all this, we can't lose sight of the ultimate goal. And it's not necessarily of your own salvation because that's been earned for you by Jesus. But through our actions and through living generously, the hope would be that we would be able to share the good news with others that don't yet know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and that his kingdom, that that asset of his kingdom would expand and that heaven would be bigger because of what we do while we wait. Can we do that, church? Can we do that, church? Yes. All right, let's go ahead and pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, God, thank you. Thank you for your word, sometimes even when it's difficult to understand. God, help open all of our eyes that we might be able to see that all that we have in our lives, every single thing that we have is a gift from you. God, strengthen us, enable us to be good managers of what you've given us. Forgive us, God, when we fall short and when we lose sight and when we selfishly spend our efforts and energies on ourselves. God, create in us a heart that would desire to honor and glorify you with all that you've given us so that others would come to the saving knowledge of who your son is and what he's done for them. We pray all these things in his name, in Jesus' name, amen.